Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, May 29th, 2022, from the Gospel of John in chapter 15. So the, you know, like, so this is where Jesus, like, he had he and his he and his guys, like, this was their last Passover together before he was going to be arrested and suffer for us. And so they went into this room that they had never been in before, and he was just telling them super important things that they couldn't really understand because um, they really didn't know what was going to happen, but it was going to matter to them a lot later on. So then, at a certain point, so. Um, so I thought, what would I, like for the next, you know, like the next few weeks, I just wanted to talk about this chapter and I didn't know what to call this. So at the end of chapter 14, Jesus said, guys, let's get up and go. So they left the room and they went out and they walked through the city and walked down the hill. And, and I just thought, maybe we could call this a walk in the evening rain. And I just thought, R-E-I-G-N. So that's what this is. So, but anyway, because Jesus was, this is how the steps to taking over the world one day. So in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, my father is the, the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. In verse five, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you live in me, it's just a word that means all those things. And I and you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you really can't do anything. Help us to understand this, Lord. Help. There are people that super need us to understand this. People in our life, people all around us, people that we know some, but they need us to get this, to get what it means. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so there's a thing, um, you know that thing where people say that some people are left brain, some people are right brain. Like, so people that are left brain are people who are real rational and like they love mathematics and all that stuff and they're real logical. And people that are right brained, it's kind of like poetic and artist and creative and all that stuff. And it turns out that's not really true. Like that they're, you know, your brain's not really divided like that. But I mean, that thing is kind of true. Like if, if it is in your right side of your brain, like I'm super right brain and like, so, like I remember um, the last time I went to Chicago and I went to the Art Institute of Chicago and there were a couple places where I started to cry. I mean, just because there are just certain paintings that when you see them, they just get me because that's a side of my brain. But math, I totally do not, well, I do have memories of math making me cry, but it was like for different reasons, you know, like I, I, like I was looking at this thing, like so that, I just, I just do not get it. I was even looking at like, I had heard certain jokes um, recently about math, I just didn't understand what they were saying. Like a farmer had 38 cows and when it became time to take them to market, he rounded them up and it turned out he had 40. And um, I, I kind of do get that one, but like if you take the circumference of a jack-o'-lantern and divide it by the diameter, it's pumpkin pie, which I think I know what that's from. What that's talking about, but um, what do you call root beer in a square mug? It's just beer. Um, I'm not exactly sure why that's funny, but there's, but so like an, an infinity, an, an infinite number of mathematicians went into a bar, and the first one said, um, I'll take a beer. And the second one said, I'll take a half a beer. And the third one said, I'll take a quarter of a beer. And the bartender just gave them two beers and said, you need to know your limits. 
Um, I super don't get that one, but <laughs> I, but there was this woman. She was I, heard, I was listening to this lady, and she was talking about her husband, who she's you know he had a college degree, master's degree, PhD, but he, she said he was like pretty much over degreed, but he um, but he was left super left brain, and she said so at some point it's going to kick in, and and she had to go to a funeral, and her go to to take was. Um, this uh, seven up pound cake that she may always made, but she didn't have the stuff. And she asked him to go to the store, but and so he had to go to pickleball, like he had a pickleball tournament and he had to go to it. And she said, okay, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make sure, you know, that he could go through the express lane. It was like seven items or less, you know. So he goes to the store, when he comes back, he starts carrying in groceries, like he has two bags and bags on his arms and he goes out and he's getting more and he's lugging this grocery in and she realized that the list, like, so he bought one box of baking soda, um, two, um, two bottles of vanilla, three pounds of butter and like four, like four dozen eggs, like, like 48 eggs. And 20 pounds of sugar and 25 pounds of flour and like 72 seven ups. And it was because she had um, numbered the items, you know? So he had said, like it said, so four pounds, uh, four, number four was five pounds of sugar. So he got 20 pounds of sugar and he missed his pickleball tournament. But so, uh, but anyway, anyway, so, um, so like, um, so I like I think that like for example if you if you read the gospel of Matthew I think he was kind of left brain. I mean I not that it's a thing, but if it was, he would be. Because like he starts out his whole gospel with a list and it's a list of 14 three groups of 14 generations, just a perfect list. But he was a tax collector before that and so they're list people. You know, they're just real you know, logical and mathematical and all that stuff. The word, the word taxes comes from the Greek word tassane, which means to keep lists. So that was him. John, on the other hand, is to me like super creative, super artistic, kind of a poet, super right brain. He starts out his gospel in the beginning. Let me tell you about Jesus. He was the word. And it's like, what do you mean? And it's just like, just think about it. It's just he's the word. In him was life, and the, his life was the light of men, and the darkness didn't overcome it. And it's just, it's all about light and dark. And there's things in the Gospel of John, I, there are things that happened, and he talks about them, but I think that it always had meaning to him. Like, kind of poetic meaning, like in chapter 13, there's a place where Judas, who had a lot of light, it's when he went out to betray Jesus, and John said, and he went out and it was dark. And it's like, what do you mean? Well, it was dark. It was nighttime and it was dark. But on the spiritual side, it was dark. Like for him, it was dark. And then chapter three, there's a guy that has, he had questions for Jesus and he wanted to talk to Jesus and he did it at night. Like he wanted to talk to Jesus. His name was Nicodemus and he wanted to talk at night. And it's like, why did he want to talk at night? And it's like, I don't know. People say, I don't know. But I think it's a thing. And I think it was because he had questions and he was just, he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. And he was ashamed of his questions. And a person of my age and of my position, I should know the answer and I don't. And so he just wanted to talk to Jesus, but in a way that kind of, he was ashamed to be seen with him. And then in the middle of the Gospel of John chapter 7, he, 
he says to some people that were potentially hostile to what he was saying, you can't really judge a person unless you hurt him. And they're like, ooh, are you, what, have you talked to him? Are you going to be like one of his disciples too? But he was kind of stepping out into the light and from the darkness. And then in chapter 19, there was a guy that named Joseph who, who stood up and risked his life and said, I want the body of Jesus and I'm going to take care of it. And he had a friend with him and his name was Nicodemus. And he's like, I'm out there, baby. Like, I'm completely out there. So, um... So like, like if you take the Apostle Paul, for example, I, I mean, not that it's a thing, but he was kind of left brain. I mean, like he was a person, when he's telling the message, like this is the message that's the most important message to me, the message that I tell everywhere. And I want to tell it to you, and I'm going to tell it in a very logical and rational way. He said, like, if you, so the problem with everyone is that everyone is guilty of, so everyone is guilty of a million things. And so this our state before God that we start out with is just a state of condemnation but because of what Jesus did in dying for us and rising from the dead if you trust in him you can receive the gift of justification from condemnation to justification and so justification means more than pardon more than forgiveness the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to you through imputation. So you're going from condemnation to the gift of justification through imputation. And that means when you believe in Jesus with God, you're in a state of reconciliation with him. And do you, you know, and he's talking like a lawyer. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, this super makes sense. And, I'm, and to tell you the honest truth, that changed my life right there in Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25 when I was 20 years old. And I understood that, that I was, that through the imputation of righteousness, I was acceptable to God. And I didn't really know how that was possible. And I struggled to believe it. But it was because it, it when I found out, like in chapter 3, verse 25, that he says, it's because Jesus was a propitiation. And that word just blew my mind. It just means he satisfied the holy demands of God, that there be a payment. And that's why it's not unjust for God to completely and totally accept me. But if you go to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus kind of tells that whole thing for the right brain people. Hey, let me tell you that whole thing. Let's say you're a person and you take a bunch of money and you run away from home and you completely blow it and you make a total mess of your life and you decide I'm going to try to maybe just kind of sneak back home. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but your dad is waiting for you like every second and as soon as he sees you, he runs and he throws, he runs to you and hugs you and kisses you and puts his royal robe on you and then he has a gigantic party for you and so the gift of justification is when he throws his robe on you and the give and the state of reconciliation is he throws a party for you I mean I does everybody get it no matter what side of your brain you're on so I one time I was in Venezuela with about 80 high school and college kids for a young life camp and we took them up to up into the Andes mountains you know and I was giving them these talks day after every evening like day after day and I was just talking to them about all that stuff and about how we are in a state of condemnation and then um, but that's why Jesus came and Jesus died and he, and he satisfied the demands of God and propitiation. And when you believe in him, you're declared righteous. His, his righteousness is given to you. It's imputed to you. I mean, I didn't really use that word, but I told him that stuff. And then on the very last night, the very last club, I was telling him, you know, it's kind of like this. It's like, um, it's like you're far from home and you've made a mess. 
and you decide to just kind of sneak back home and God is like your dad and he runs and he hugs you and kisses you and puts a robe on you and throws a party for you. So anyway, the next day, so we kind of sent him out into the Andes nighttime to, to accept Jesus if they wanted to. And the next day they have a thing called say so where if kids accepted Jesus, they stand up and say so. And uh, this one kid, like so in Venezuela, like back then, like, like the way families were was like maybe a man would move in with a woman and have a bunch of kids and then leave her and then get somebody else and have a bunch of kids and leave her and get, and, and like, it was almost like, it was just like they had a lot of social collapse. And um, so most of those young men did not know their dads. And one young man said, you know, when I heard that God loves me like a dad, that he would put his robe on me and hug me and kiss me. And my dad has never loved me my entire life. And he started to sob. And other young college men got up from the circle, went and sat on rocks, and they just sobbed. And normally that meeting lasted 20 minutes, but it lasted an hour and 20 minutes, you know? So, um, so anyway, Jesus, is with that night he was spending it with his guys and they were totally 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 completely committed to him and they didn't really understand this but he was about to send them out into the world with this message like with what we call good news it's not good advice it's not good principles for living it's not good christian values it's good news something has happened in ancient history that if you open your heart to it it will change your present reality and your future destiny and so he was going to give them the only thing is they didn't know this news yet because it hadn't it hadn't happened yet but they would and he was going to send them out because and it's like the most important thing in all the world is sharing this message and and that people hear it and it's the only reason the world continues to turn is that there are people in this world who haven't heard the message yet and they haven't really had the opportunity to open their heart to it so that's what is that's why the world continues to turn but so on his heart on the heart of Jesus that evening it's like what what was the most important thing with the most important concept that he needed to communicate to them and the most important concept is how are people going to open their heart to the message that they had to share the message that we had to share what would be the most important what would be the most important factor in making people open to listening to it and one thing that is consistent through the entire new testament is that people are open to the message when they see in you, when they can smell in you, when they, when they can taste something that gives them the taste of something beautiful. Like in the book of Titus, Paul says, it's our job to make this message Attractive is a word that, but it's the word cosmos. It's where the word cosmetic comes from. And it's like that someone should look at you and think, I see something beautiful. 
There's a place in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul says, we're the aroma of Jesus to people, and a person should be able to be around you, and if they don't know Jesus at all, they should think, I smell something beautiful. There's a place in, Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, that we're the salt of the earth. And salt is what makes things taste beautiful. And it's just like being around you should give them a taste for something beautiful. I don't know how that's going really right now. Like in, um, I, you know, I think if, like if you ask somebody Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, in the gospel, it's not good for anything. In the gospel of Luke, he said, it's not good for putting even on a pile of poop. So I thought, well, if it could make a pile of poop worse, then it actually is, it's not good. You know, but I've, you know, I wondered like if a person, if a person, if you asked people in general, like, if I say the name Jesus and you were to associate a smell with that, what would it be? And I, if I say the name evangelical and you were to associate a smell with that, like what would it be? And I don't, I remember my daughter Val, like my kids grew up speaking Italian and, and English, but their English was a lot of times pretty uh, Italian-y, especially like in the grammar and in, in Italian, um, the Italian language uses the same word sentire for to hear, to feel, to smell, to touch. And uh, we were driving somewhere in the car and I don't know, something happened and Val said, I hear something pewy. And I thought, <laughs> so maybe that's what people would say. I hear something pewy, but, but um, it's not the way, like it's just that like, the most, most, most important thing is that when, um, when people who don't know Jesus look at people who do, and maybe they don't even know that that person does, they should feel like, I see something beautiful. I hear, I, I, I smell something beautiful. I'm getting a taste for something beautiful. So you think, okay, so how does that happen? Like, how does it happen? to us that we, that, you know, like if we love Jesus, that we become more and more that way where people look at you and go, there's something beautiful about this person I see, or there's something beautiful about this person I smell, or there's something beautiful about this person that I'm getting a taste for. So, and I, and I like it. Um, so if you ask like the Apostle Paul, who was pretty left brain, he would say, okay, so after, um, after you receive the gift of justification and you're in a state of reconciliation with God, like one thing that happens in that moment is also the gift of regeneration, which means that God, Almighty God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and you go from being, being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And you just have a power that you didn't have before to be different than you were and be different than other people are. And, and this begins the process of sanctification. And so sanctification means um, just kind of a gradual ongoing process where you become different, different than you were and different than people are. So like in Galatians chapter five, when Paul's talking about that, and he said like people who don't know Jesus, like you look at them and they don't, and there's just stuff about them. You know, there's stuff like drunken parties and witchcraft and stuff, but he says, um, there's also meanness 
And there's division. And they're often angry. And they quarrel all the time. And they have hostility and animosity. So when you see that kind of stuff, people that are angry and mean and quarrelsome and hostile towards other people, Jesus is not in that at all. So, but he said, but, um, but when Jesus goes into a side of person to live and the process of sanctification kind of takes off and they become different than they were or different than other people are. They just love, they just love. And they have peace and they're joyful. It's just a thing, like where does it come from? It's just Jesus inside of them. There was a guy in Acts chapter 16 who kind of ran a jail and there were some people that got arrested for he didn't really get it, but they were just sharing the message of Jesus. So he beat him up. He said, it's just my job. And just beat him up and threw him in the furthest place back in the jail. And then, and he was just out there, you know, with his feet on his desk. And he just, all of a sudden he heard them. And he had beaten the snot out of me. He just, he heard them singing and praising. And it's just like, I hear something beautiful. I mean, I don't really know what that is. And it was just a matter of minutes that he was saying to them, I don't know what you all have. But I want it, you know, I want that. So Paul would say, yeah, it's the process of regeneration, coming to life, and then sanctification, gradually becoming different than you were, different than other people were, people are. So Jesus, in John 15, he's like, for you right brain people, let me explain that in a different way. And so they walk out of the room and let me give you a picture. Let me give you a poetic, let me paint you a picture. Let me show you something. So they walk out of that room and into the Judean night. Under the few stars there were because there was a huge Passover moon. And through crowded streets and out the Golden Gate and down the hillside to an olive grove, and there were vines, there were vineyards, and there were these vines growing out of the ground. And they had branches, two branches coming out of each side of them, four branches apiece, and hundreds of them. And Jesus said, that's it, right there. That's where the beauty comes from. That's why people are going to start to see something beautiful in you and smell something beautiful in you and get a taste for something beautiful from you. I'm the vine. Okay, so like I'm a vine coming out of the ground and you're the branch and all of the nutrients and the water and minerals are just come swelling up and just flowing out of me into you who is the branch. And pretty soon, people start to see green leaves. And you know how like those new light green leaves when the sun catches them just right? And people look at it and say, I see something beautiful. And then the flowers bud. And then they blossom. And they say, I smell something beautiful. And after a while, in the right time, there's grapes, there's fruit, it's sweet and delicious. And people are like, I see something. I smell something. I taste something beautiful. It's just 
Jesusiness. It's just, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how. It's just, just look at the thing. It's just the life of Jesus, Jesusiness flowing out of your stick of life. And it's just supernatural and nobody can explain it. But it's just beautiful. So, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus said, You're supposed. Look at the stick, man. Just look at the stick. Yeah, it, the stick is just stuck. It's just stuck in the vine. Abide, abide. What does that mean? Just st be the stick that's stuck in the thing, like in the vine. I remember when I was telling Italians this, you know, and I came up with a thing, and because it starts with three Ps, and I thought it was super cool, and it's three Ps, and but I said, it's for il piacere di Gesù by the potere di Gesù Nella presenza di Gesù. It's it's it, for the pleasure of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, for the in the presence of Jesus. And I thought that was super cool. And I was trying to be kind of super left brain. And if you ask me today, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? I would say, just look at the stick, man. Just look, look, think about it. Think about a vine and a stick, and it's just stuck, and it's just depending. And it's not like a branch in a tree branch, you know, where you're stuck to a stick, which is stuck to another stick, which is stuck to a bunch of sticks, which somebody way down the thing is stuck to the trunk. You yourself are stuck to the thing. And it's just like me, myself, completely and totally dependent on Jesus. Day by day, like all the time, like hour by hour, I'm depending on him to love and to, be, to have peace in my heart. And when you don't have it, Jesus, I need you to give it to me. And when you, when you, and joy, and it's just like if you don't have it, I want to be more joyful than I am. Jesus, give it to me. And he gives it to you. And you can't explain it to every, anybody, but people look at you and go, I, I just see something beautiful in you. So let's say, so what if you think, I don't know if I'm all that Jesus-y. Like if, if you're talking about like the grapes, it's just the fruit that comes from Jesus-iness of just the life of Jesus in me. And I don't feel all that Jesus-y. Like if, if, let's say I'm an Enneagram nine, but I'm a Jesus-y like two with a one wing, you know, it's like it's not really happening all, all that much. Um, what do I do about it? Okay, so first of all, I have to assume, you have to assume, if I'm asking that question, that I'm like those guys, like that I care about what they cared about, like that I care about um, what Jesus cares about. Like, I mean, Jesus goes on to say, apart from me, you really can't do anything. And it's like, that's not really true. I mean. Apart from Jesus, you can win a gold medal in the Olympics. Apart from Jesus, you can be a U.S. senator. Sometimes it might help, like to not have him, you know. Uh, apart from Jesus, you could be a multimillionaire, you know. But, um, sometimes it helps to not have him in the middle of all that either, because it gets super confusing when he starts to say his stuff. But you can do things, but you can't do Jesus-y stuff. You can't do the stuff that he cares about. You can't really love. You can't really, you can't have that peace. You can't have kindness and gentleness and joy. And that's the most thing. That's the thing that matters the most. And so it has to matter to me that 
I have to think of kindness. I have to think of sweetness. I have to think of joy, of love, as my superpowers as a member of the Justice League in doing our mission of trying to gather people into the kingdom of God. And that matters to me. It's what loving people into the kingdom of God, I'm assuming that's what should matter to us more than anything in this whole world. And I'm assuming that matters to me. Like that, that I care about that. That's what I care about is loving people and kinding people into the kingdom of God. Like, I, like in my life, because that's how they come in. That's how they listen. Sometimes kindness and love, it matters more than words sometimes because they're not going to listen to your words if you don't see it. If they don't see it in you, if they don't see something beautiful and smell something beautiful and get a taste for something beautiful. So it has to matter to me. I've always felt like loving people into the kingdom, like if you really want to find people that are open to it, you, you go, to, go where people are sick, in trouble, or lonely. Go to hospitals, go to jails and prisons, and reach out to people who come from other countries. And because they're, they're, there's, they need so much, and they just need someone to love them. I just, we used to have churches, like I learned a lot about immigrants. One thing I learned about immigrants is that nobody leaves their country unless they're starving, in danger, or persecuted. Nobody wants to live in anybody else's country. They want to be home. And if they can't be home, it's because they have to leave. And they have lots of needs. And if somebody will love them and somebody will care about them, and I hope they come here because I just care about loving people into the kingdom of God. It's what I care about. You know what I mean? And so we had, like in Milano, we started reaching out to like all these Filipinos who were mostly undocumented immigrants who had left a very, very, very difficult situation. And just people loved them. And they just started coming to our church and it became their family and we had like people from all over the place. There was a man who just died this week, a man named Franz Moore. I saw it in Christianity Today. And he was the lead technician for Steinway Pianos. And he spent his whole career, he was, he was a refugee from Austria in World War II. And he, spent, and he came to know Jesus and he loved Jesus. And he spent his career traveling with Van Cliburn, Arthur Rubinstein, but mostly Vladimir Horowitz. And he set up his piano for every concert and recording. And every time they had to go somewhere, that was his job. Like that's what he did. He just traveled with Vladimir Horowitz. And when they were at La Scala Opera House in Milano and either recording or doing a concert, he would always come down to our church and we'd get him to preach. And he would, the Filipinos loved him. And there was a Canadian named Ben Hefner who was one of the leading tenors in the world. And when he was at La Scala, if he was free on Sunday, he would come down there and we just had people from all over the world. And it felt like heaven and they just loved each other. And it's like, that's the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? It's just like, and so... And so that, that matters to me, right? That matters to us. It's what should matter more than anything else in the world. We should think about it all the time. What is my part in loving people into the kingdom of God? And being Jesus-y, being Jesus matters to me more than anything because that's why we're in the world. If that's the way you feel and you feel like you're not very Jesus-y, what do you do about it? Nothing. Don't worry about it. You're not going to have to worry about it. Jesus said in verse 2, he said, if any branch doesn't bear fruit, the Father cuts it off. Mm, that doesn't sound good. Actually, you could look at that in a completely different way. The word that's translated cuts off or takes away, it's a word that's often translated in the New Testament, lifts up. It's the word that's used in when Jesus fed the 5,000 and they went around picking up 
pieces of bread. It's the word that's used when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. It's the word that was used of Simon the Cyrenian who picked up the cross and carried it. And if a person isn't really as Jesus-y as they would like to be, what God the Father will do is he will lift you up. It could be that this branch needs more sunshine. This branch needs more um, air flowage. He's going to put you into a situation where he is going to draw you closer to him. If you're like, you know, you just are passionate about loving people into the kingdom of God, he's going to put you into a situation where you are being criticized or you're confused and you don't know what to do and you say, Jesus, I need you. I'm trying to do this thing and I don't know what to do. He's going to put you in a situation where you might feel like I am being crushed here. I'm trying to do this thing and I'm trying to love these people and it's gotten super complicated and I don't know what to do. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you to help me. Do you know what they call that? They call that abiding. When you, when you say, I need you to help me. And he will make sure that you are right, right, right where you need to be. If you feel like today you're in a situation and you're, it's difficult and you don't know what to do and you're, because you're trying to love someone or you're trying to be kind to someone and it's not working out and you're saying to Jesus, help me. I don't know what to do. I need you to help me. That's exactly, exactly, exactly where he wants you. You'll be more Jesus-y tomorrow, I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. I remember that time I went to Venezuela, and I had people tell me, don't go. Do not go to Venezuela. Do not go. And I was like, well, they were going to have a recall vote of the president, Hugo Chavez. And so people were saying that a civil war was going to break out. And it, 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 and, but I'm like, I said I was going to go, and I went. Well, anyway, like in the middle of the week, I had a moment, like we were 11,000 feet up in the Andes Mountains, where I got afraid. And I was like, what if it does happen? What, what if I'm hearing this thing? I'm, I'm just so far from home. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus, help me. I need you to help me. I can't talk to these kids if I'm afraid. I don't want to be afraid. I can't really tell you what happened except to say he gave me a peace that I've never felt before. And it was just, it was a peace and a confidence. And I knew he was with me. And I knew he was helping me. And he did. Jesus, help me. It's the most beautiful prayer a person could ever pray. It's a prayer that you give us to pray. You put us in places as we're trying to do your thing where we cry out, help me. I need you. I need you. It's exactly the fertilizer that that fruit needs. Thanks. Help us to not be afraid of it. In your precious name, amen. When I'm broken down, when I am sick at heart, and when I'm pushed around, when I'd like to restart, well, I need you. I need you, I need you, Jesus. I need you, I need you, I need you, Lord. Come and tell me now. 
feel so afraid And when I want to run So fast and far away Oh, I need you I need you I need you, Jesus I need you I need you I need you, Lord Come and tell seem to cope when I need some peace when I'm longing for some hope oh, I need you I need you I need you Jesus I need you I need you I need you I need you, I need you, I need you, Lord.